to the Haunted Haulers podcast, a place where your hosts, Wendy and April, discuss the creepy things that lurk in the misty shadows of the Appalachian Hills. I am, as always, the mysterious voice in the walls. Hey, everybody, this is Wendy. And I'm April. Waverly Hill Sanatorium, located in Louisville, Kentucky, has become known as one of the most haunted places in the country. The building opened in 1910 in order to treat tuberculosis patients. The hospital was equipped to treat 50 patients. However, due to the rapid spread of tuberculosis, or TB, 140 patients were being treated at one time. In 1926, the building underwent a renovation to be able to treat 400 patients in response to the continued increase of the deadly disease. Since TB is highly contagious and deadly, the patients, doctors, and other workers were confined to the building and not permitted to leave. This resulted in the institution getting its own post office and zip code, among other things. In the 1960s, a cure was found for TB, and the hospital no longer served its purpose. After being quarantined, it became a nursing home and remained so until 1981. For the next 20 years, the building remained unoccupied and fell into a state of disarray. While unoccupied, many people broke in and vandalized the building. Homeless people used it as a shelter, and curiosity seekers snuck in looking for proof of local ghost stories. In 2001, Charles and Tina Mattingly purchased the property and founded the Waverly Hills Historical Society shortly after. Due to thousands of people who died on the property from TB, many people have come from distant places to conduct paranormal investigations. Two particular hotspots are the 600-foot body chute and room 502. The body chute was also known as the death tunnel. It was a tunnel that ran under the building that was used to move bodies from the hospital to the side of the hill. The purpose of using the tunnel was to keep other patients from seeing those who were succumbing to the illness daily. Since there was no treatment for this illness, doctors were trying to boost morale and use positive thinking. This would be negatively affected if sick patients saw the amount of bodies that were being transported. A second area believed to contain a lot of activity is the fifth floor, or more specifically, room 502. According to rumors, the fifth floor was used to contain mentally ill TB patients. This, however, has been debunked since it is known that the patients of this hospital were not insane, nor were they confined to particular places. A story circulated about a 29-year-old nurse hanging herself from a light fixture in room 502. She was believed to be pregnant and unmarried at the time and extremely depressed due to her condition. Another story states that a nurse jumped to her death from the same room. Other stories claim that she was pushed to her death. There is, however, no evidence to back up either of these claims. During renovations in 2002, reports of paranormal activity began pouring in from the volunteers. They have seen apparitions, seen lights appear, report being touched, and heard ghostly noises and doors slamming. Reports have been made of seeing a man walking in a white coat, a little girl walking down the hallway, hearing footsteps, and the smell of food cooking in the kitchen. Orbs have also been spotted in the body chute on multiple occasions. If you're interested in checking this place out for yourself, you can make a reservation for a guided paranormal tour on their website at therealwaverlyhills.com. They also have exciting events such as weekend experience with psychic mediums, and in the fall they have a haunted house with live actors. For those not as excited about the paranormal, but would like to learn more about the building's rich history, they have guided daytime and historical tours as well.
And now it's time for the breakdown. So I guess the first thing we need to talk about is tuberculosis or TB itself, um, because that's what the main purpose of this uh, hospital started out as. Right. Um, so some interesting things I found out about tuberculosis, because surprisingly, I don't know a lot about it. And I didn't before, you know, we started this, this program and this conversation about this sanatorium. So apparently one of the things I found out is TB is also known as consumption. So I don't oh, know if you've ever heard the word I consumption. Have. I didn't know that was the same thing. I have heard the word consumption, did not know they were the same thing. Mm-hmm. So the other thing is I found out that, you know, by the 19th century, tuberculosis had killed, of all the people on the planet, think of all the people on the planet, tuberculosis had killed one in seven of all the people of the planet. Wow. So that's a lot of people. That's brutal. Yeah. So this is a very deadly, this was a very deadly disease, but I say was, but apparently it still exists and apparently there are still outbreaks. Um, you know, in 2022, I think there was an outbreak. Could Ooh. have been. Uh, but we now have the means to treat it and we now have better medicine than we did back in the 19th century. Well, I know whenever I became a teacher, I had to go get a TB skin test in order to, you know, get my job. And I, you know, always thought that was like interesting that you had to do that because I didn't know how serious of a disease that was. Exactly. I had to get that before I student taught or observed. I remember before in the classroom. Yeah, I had to get that little punch. Mm -hmm. I had to get the TB skin test. I also have to get it again. Um, I'm a bus monitor now in addition to being a teacher. And I have to get it again to be a bus monitor. So, yeah. And I, but I didn't realize, you know, they're like, hey, you have to get the TV skin test. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, I, it's not pleasant, but apparently neither is tuberculosis. So I think I'm grateful to be getting <laughs> yes. this now, now that I've done a deep dive into tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. I think I'll get it regularly now, get this skin test, just to make sure I don't have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So when it first came about, doctors thought it was caused by genetics. Hmm. They thought it was genetically given from person to person. But now, you know, it wasn't so, you know, after doing research and things, they finally figured out, and I don't think this was until the 1940s, they figured out it was caused by bacteria. Mm-hmm. And it was spread through coughing, and apparently it's quite unpleasant. You get a bloody cough, and yeah, it affects your lungs. Um, it's not a very pleasant thing to have. So they found out that it's um, spread that way. So when they when they discovered this... Um, that's when they realized they had to quarantine people. Mm-hmm. So when you were found to have tuberculosis, you had to get quarantined into these institutions, these sanatoriums. Mm-hmm. And usually it was against your will. Mm-hmm. So families were split up. Uh, parents had to leave their children. Ch- children had to leave their parents. I mean, you were taken to these sanatoriums, and that's where you had to live out the rest of your life, you know, however short it might be. Most people didn't recover. Wow. And they died in these sanatoriums. Um as far as treatment, the treatments were believed to be fresh air, um, sunlight. So you would often see the patients out on the front porches of these sanatoriums. Mm-hmm. Um, their hospital beds were wheeled out there if they couldn't sit in a chair. Um, they would be placed out on the front porches, whether it was winter time, It might be the dead of winter with snow on the ground. And they would be out on the front porches trying to get the fresh air and the sunshine. Also, if they were in their rooms... They would have the window open. They would have like a tent over their bed with the window included, trying to get that fresh air in into them. Hmm. Um, What else? Oh, there were some not as nice treatments, some experimental treatments they were doing. Um, They would put balloons 
in their lungs and inflate them. And I can let you imagine how that went. That was, that what was, time period was this? We're talking 1910. Oh, I can, oh that techno. Oh, no. Yes, no, yes. That can't have, couldn't have been good then. That was a very bloody mess. That well, was a very bloody mess. I, I also read about the, you know, forced exposure to these extreme weather conditions. Uh-huh. And I also read about these surgeries that would, I guess, eventually collapse their lungs. Yes. And temporarily, I guess, collapse their lungs. And it said that the methods that they used, these experimental treatments, actually led to a, a whole lot of, like, agonizing deaths that people, you know, they might have died anyway because of the disease, but these treatments they were trying on them were so traumatic that they were leading to really agonizing end-of-life terms. So this leads us to the question, which was worse, the tuberculosis or these experimental treatments they were oh, doing on I, them? I'm sure we made it worse. Yeah. <laughs> So then another thing they would do is they would remove muscles and ribs from the patient's chest. Why? Well, their thinking was it would allow the lungs to expand. Oh, So they would take out muscles and ribs, which I'm sure was extremely painful. I'd imagine. Um, And I'm trying to think of the technology back then. I'm sure there was not a lot of... I don't know. I'm not sure about anesthesia at that time. I don't I know mean, if it they was probably just knocked them out. If it was bite on this piece oh, of wood, oh my and, gosh! But I'm sure that was unpleasant as well. Um, I don't know a lot about the ribs, but I think you need them. I had one. Out one. Of, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have a couple. I had one out of place one time, mm. and it was the worst pain I think I've ever felt. Yeah. So I can't even imagine having that. You know, go in and remove it. Mm. So that brings us to this 600-foot chute that runs under the hospital. Um, The reason that was put in was to help boost patient morale because it was believed one of the treatments that if if you could get patients to think positively and if – I'm sorry. I'm trying to say this. You're looking at me right now, and I'm trying to say this. This is the beginning of talking positively. I'm trying to say this with a straight face right now, but you're looking at me. If you could get them to think positively and not have any negative thoughts, it would help with their treatment process. Sorry you're coughing up blood. (laughs) Have a great day. Have a great day. If you just think positive, you'll get better. Uh Okay. For for the Doctor Who fans, this would be happiness will prevail. (laughs) This reminds me of my mom. Love her heart. When she says, I know you're feeling bad, but if you just go curl your hair, you'll feel a little bit better. Um and it doesn't work. But anyway, <laughs> so um, they would use this um, tunnel, also known as the death tunnel, rightly so, um, to wheel the dead patients out to the hill. Now, when they got to the hill, I'm not sure what they did with them. Did they just put them in a pile? Did they just, that's unclear what mm. they did with them when they got to, they said to the foot of the hill. So they would do that so the other patients who were still alive wouldn't see all the people who were dying because people were dying constantly. And they're all out on the porch, so they would see people taking them out. Exactly. And they didn't want the patients to see that because then they would be upset and they felt, you know, if they were down mentally, then that would cause them to die as well. Well, in in fairness, if if you just saw body bag after body bag after after body bag leaving yeah you yeah you'd be wondering like well uh the treatment is is going to work is this yes i would agree yeah i agree with that i can see some aspect of that too 
Um, yeah, if you did see that over and over again, I, it I, would bring you down. I totally disagree with removing a rib. So that, <laughs> that, that, that just, no, no. So, yeah, I would say that's a little more logical than, you know, putting a balloon in someone's lung and inflating it till the lung collapses. I would agree with that. Okay. So, what else do we need to flesh out here as far as, okay. So, again, you have your patients who are quarantined. But then you have all the workers there. They've now been exposed to the tuberculosis. You've got your doctors. You've got your uh, nurses and any other hospital staff. They can't leave either. They're stuck there as well. That's something you got to think about. So these people all have families, but now that they've been exposed, they can't leave. Mm -hmm. So because of this, this sanatorium and probably others like it have become its own little city. Mm-hmm. has its own post office, has its own zip code. So it's like you all can't leave. I mean, it's kind of like the Hotel California. Mm. Um, you can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. So everything's just kind of right there. Nobody can leave. They're all just quarantined. Mm-hmm. Nowhere to go. So all of that makes it a little sinister. It's unsure how many people died altogether. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen numbers of up to 6,000. Um, I've seen less. I don't know if the record keeping wasn't that good at the time, right. but as well, far as you know, we are talking early 19, right? But we can say for sure it was a lot. Oh yeah. If they had to create a death tunnel yeah. to wheel people out, mm-hmm. we can say yes, it was a lot. And we know just from the statistics of tuberculosis itself, it was a lot of people. Yeah. Um, what else can we say about the tuberculosis itself? Um, we. You know, the, the doctors and everybody had to stay there. Um, and then there are some stories. Okay, but before we get to that, let's talk about how many times this building has changed hands. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was the sanatorium. Well, we finally did some research. We finally did some investigating. By about 1960, um, you know, we're finally realizing that this is caused by bacteria. Mm-hmm. There was an antibiotic created. Mm-hmm. Um, the antibiotic was finding some good results. But then, you know, people were relapsing after they got the antibiotic. Then they found, a, like, a medicine combo. Mm-hmm. Okay. People are getting over the tuberculosis. Okay. I think you're good. We no longer need the sanatorium. Mm-hmm. So they shut it down. Obviously, they have to quarantine the building before it can begin anything else. The next thing it becomes is a nursing home. Mm-hmm. Well, we know with nursing homes, yeah. um, there's some bad things that happen in nursing homes. You know, mm-hmm. people go there to live out the rest of their life, and there's going to be some deaths and things there. Okay, next thing, it changes hands. Well, it kind of sits vacant for a while after the nursing home. Um, there was a, in 1996, there was a man named Robert Alberhaski who came in. He uh, was in charge of Christ the Redeemer Foundation, and he was going to construct the world's tallest statue of Jesus on this site. Okay, he was influenced. There is a Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro. Apparently, I don't know if it's the tallest statue. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm going to have to look into that. But he was inspired by that, and he decided he was going to put this on the roof of this hospital. It was going to cost him $4 million. Okay, he was also going to set up a theater and gift shop for $8 million. Here's the problem. He didn't have that money. Right. 
he was looking for donations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it said the first year he only raised three thousand dollars. <laughs> so he fell short of his goal. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> if someone's like, "Hey, I'm going to build this giant statue. It's going to cost four million dollars. Can I have some money?" I'd be like, mm, "I can, I can put that money to better use." It's other like ways. you know, I I like your giant statue <laughs> idea. But what's it going to do for us? Yeah. What's it? What's how many people is it going to feed? Mm-hmm, um, exactly. What's it? Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna have trouble contributing to this. I'm gonna need more. Yeah. What? What? What's it gonna do for us? So yeah, that was canceled. Um. Okay. So then we fast forward, and you said in the reading that after this was abandoned for about twenty years, people were sneaking in. Mm-hmm. Homeless people were living there. Um. People were hearing ghost stories. Um, about this place being haunted. Mm -hmm. And so they were sneaking in to try to see if this place was haunted. Mm -hmm. While they were sneaking in, they were vandalizing. Of course. (laughs) Because what do you do when you you sneak into an abandoned building? You vandalize it. No, you don't. Don't do that, people. Don't vandalize things that aren't yours. So it was uh, getting pretty vandalized. And you can see pictures online Mm -hmm. of it, the vandalism that occurred and... Um, things that happened. So it was getting pretty run down. All right. So we had homeless people living in it. We had vandals breaking in, trying to investigate the ghost stories. Mm -hmm. Then it was bought. And once it was bought, it was um, deemed a historical building. Mm -hmm. And now you can take tours. You can go in and do your own paranormal investigation. And they do some pretty cool things like, I think this weekend or next weekend they're doing a psychic medium mm-hmm. that you can make reservations yeah. to be a part of, which that sounds pretty cool. Um, and you can do your own paranormal investigation. And if you're a little afraid of that kind of thing, then you can do a daytime tour. Yeah. Okay. So now that we've got the history of the building and we know some things about tuberculosis, we can kind of flesh out some things about, you know, how we feel about these ghost stories. And mm-hmm. Okay. So one of the hot spots, of course, is the death tunnel. Well, yeah. <laughs> and people say that they see orbs in mm-hmm. the death tunnel. And as you know, orbs are associated with paranormal entities and mm-hmm. spirits. Um, and I feel like a lot of people would think they see orbs in the death tunnel. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that's where you take... That's just a creepy thing. Yeah. It's just a creepy thing in general. If that's where you're... If you can see pictures of it online as well. Um, that's where they were taking the bodies, you know, willing them to their final resting place. Mm-hmm. So I can understand thinking that you see things in this death tunnel. Right. Another hot spot was the fifth floor, at specifically room 502. It was said that a nurse hanged herself, mm-hmm. that she was 29, pregnant, unmarried. Um, there's no record of that happening. Well... And, you know, when I think about the fact that all the workers and the nurses and the doctors had to be quarantined and confined there, I find it really unusual that a nurse would be like, well, I'm pregnant, but hey, let's go work at this place that I can never exactly. leave. You know. Exactly. That, that's odd. Um, could she have gotten pregnant while she was well, there? Well, obviously, that's a possibility. That's, that's a possibility mm-hmm. as well. Is that another woman, another nurse... Uh, jumped to her death from that same room. Like there was a patio. She went out. She jumped off of it. Some say she was pushed. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't see either of those as unrealistic. Think of you being quarantined to a place. Right. 
and, and not being, being around so much death. Yes, and not being allowed to leave. And not being able to help. You know, if you're right. a nurse, you're a healthcare worker, you want to help people. I got to imagine that that's got to weigh on you after oh, yeah. a while when you can't do anything. And you're stuck there. Even you, have, you might have family mm-hmm. that you can't go see now. Um, you know, on a on a lesser scale, you know, we can kind of relate to being quarantined during the pandemic. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, when we, that time when we weren't allowed to leave our houses and go see our families, and yeah. that was a that was a trying time mm-hmm. mentally. Yeah. So this is like a times ten for them. Right. That that would that would be difficult. So could this be realistic? It could be realistic. Um, it's a realistic story, but is it an urban legend? Mm-hmm. Quite possibly. Um, the only person who validated the stories was a man who, when you look at the records, at the time he was six years old during one story and ten years old during the other. So that mm-hmm. kind of takes away his credibility. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, it would be impossible for him to be there at the time. Mm-hmm. So there's really no credible source for those stories. Um, and then we get to the ghost stories, the people breaking in and what they see. Okay. So people who broke in and were trying to validate the ghost stories. There were reports of seeing a little girl running down the hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, there were reports of smelling food coming from the kitchen. Mm-hmm. If you are breaking in. And you're in this building. And we know that homeless people were living there at the time. Mm-hmm. Is it unusual that it could be maybe one of the homeless people cooking possibility. food? There's so possibility. is this a ghostly spectral person uh, cooking food or making food smells? Or could this more likely be a homeless person cooking food from somewhere in the building that you smell? Um, the people who broke in reported hearing footsteps. Mm-hmm. Again, how many people were in this building at the time. Right. Um, another is seeing a person in a white lab coat. Mm-hmm. This one holds a little more weight because one of the stories that I saw, and I cited all my sources, you can go and look at them yourselves. Um, one of the stories was volunteers were, you know, going to reconstruct the building after mm-hmm. it had been vandalized and after it had been bought. And one of the people said... They were there with one of the volunteer workers, and they saw for themselves a man in a white uh, doctor's coat. Mm -hmm. That one carries a little more weight because at this time, all the homeless people, all the there weren't any of the people breaking in because they had had locks and everything installed. Mm -hmm. So that one holds a little more weight to it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Is this a residual thing? Is this someone seeing what they wanted to see? I don't know. That's something we have to do. Be the judge of. You mm-hmm. decide. I thought it was really interesting. One of the stories that I read talked about a little boy that they had named Timmy. Mm-hmm. And it talked about how like you could roll a ball down the hallway and Timmy would roll the ball back to you. That's exciting. And I thought that was kind of an interesting story. Um, but I don't know. I have kind of like some mixed feelings about it. Because, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, obviously, any place where there has been that much tragedy and that much death, you know, those are typically the kinds of places that we associate with hauntings. Right. right. And so, I mean, if you think about assuming that ghosts are real, you know, we're, we're trying to, like, think about this in, in that perspective. If I was a patient 
who had been horribly experimented on, was already dying, had gone through these painful experiments, and had this tragic death, I mean, to me, that seems like the recipe for, you know, creating some kind of lasting imprint, whether it's a spirit or, you know, um, something along those lines to, to kind of, or energy, you know, something to be there, because that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely, you know, with the suffering and the things that had gone on, that seems like the right, you know, mixture of things to happen to, to make something like that happen. Okay. And you know me, I'm going to have to see it for myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As the debunker here. This is something I'm going to have to see for myself. And I think we're going to be going on a road trip. And we're going to go check it out for ourselves. And you all can do the same. If you just go on their website, you can book a reservation. Mm-hmm. For whatever tour you would like to do, mm-hmm. because I and you might even see us there because we're going to go. I think we should definitely go, and then we can do like an update talking about how you know it was from firsthand experience. Absolutely. Spring break's coming up, so <laughs> yeah. let's ride. There you go. <laughs> let's do this. And this is one of the most popular um, haunted destinations in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, people know about it from all over. So if you yourself have been to this destination and you've had an experience. Oh, we want to hear about we it. We would love to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Tell us what you think. And I'll post some pictures on our Instagram. You guys can go check those out and kind of get a, a preview if you've never been there. You can contact us on Facebook and Instagram at Haunted Haulers. You can also send us an email at hauntedhaulers at gmail.com. And we also have a webpage, www.hauntedhaulers.com. Until next time, listeners, beware of things lurking in the shadows.